Welcome to the Direct Response Marketing Magic Podcast. Seth Green is a five-time best-selling author, speaker, and nationally recognized direct response marketing expert who is CEO of one of the fastest-growing direct response marketing firms in the country. To get free access to a download of his new book, Podcast Marketing Magic, and a free live training webinar that will show you how you can use a podcast to attract new customers and referrals like magic, simply register at www.ultimatemarketingmagician.com. On the podcast, Seth brings together some of the most cutting-edge thought leaders in the world to share with you how they grow their businesses and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. Welcome to the Response Podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be interviewing Evan Hackle of Engage.net. That's I-N-G-A-G.net. Evan, thank you so much for joining us today. That's great to be on. Glad to have you. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Well, that goes back a long time ago. I mean, you've had an incredible career path. I was very fortunate. I grew up in a family business with a father that was just a terrific mentor. And being in a family business, I mean, literally started in business at age 10. And uh, my father was uh, terrific to work with. Uh, we stumbled into the videotape rental franchising business, which was a you know really big growth business, and uh, our family business uh, did very well. Um, and I, uh, when I got out of college and I joined, I uh, got my MBA and joined the company. We grew from three million to five million to ten million to twenty-five million. Um, at which point, my father uh, decided to sell off parts of the business. And then I then I moved on and I found a company that very interesting company that at the time had basically one conversion franchise concept and I joined them and took them from a uh, a small company with 86 locations to a 10 billion dollar company with 12 different concepts both co-ops and franchises um, doing 10 you know doing 10 billion dollars worth of business all over the world. So it, it was a fun ride, and then I started my consulting business and my in my training company. Maybe a little longer than you wanted, but that that's sort of my. No, that is absolutely incredible. I am sure both of the it should it, the, the actual longer version should probably still a book. There's a whole lot of experience there that we just glossed over in two seconds. <laughs> well, so and that's, that's the the interesting part is that my. Philosophy of engagement with an eye for involvement, meaning that you involve people, really started my family business. Um, when I got back with my MBA, I went to my father and said, you know, where's our strategic plan? I don't have one, which is where most people are. Yeah, I kind of know what I want to do, but no formality to it. And we had the, it was a small business, but we had sort of distinct little parts of the business, and we we worked with the employees in each of the different divisions of the company, and we asked them what they thought we should be doing and got a lot of great ideas, and we documented it, and we put together a plan to go from $3 million to $10 million in five years, and we went from $3 million to, to $25 million in four years. 
Um, and when every, you know, when you got all the great ideas, and when everyone knew exactly what we were doing, you gr- you grow really, really fast. And and that has been the key to my success. With every, I've started three different franchise businesses. I took over a bankrupt seven hundred million dollar franchise system and turned it into two billion in, in four years. And it's this concept of engagement and winning the hearts and souls of people. So that people are all working together with the same shared vision, you can accomplish so much. And it's so different than the autocratic, uh, this is where we're going, get behind me, or, uh, and no one knows what the or is. And, and, and people are just like, you know, I'm doing, doing business. So let me share a really kind of funny story. I was just at CVS literally 15 minutes ago, and they have two um, drive-up window things. So I drive up to the second one because there are two cars in the first one. And I get up to the drive-up window thing, and there are two signs saying, you know, full service both directions. And I push the button, and the guy says, I'm sorry, this lane doesn't work. Go in the other <laughs> lane, wait my turn, <laughs> wait my turn. And I said, why don't you just put up a little sign saying second lane doesn't work or second lane closed? He says, we've been asking for two years for CVS to either fix the thing or allow us to put up the sign, and they won't do either. Oh, my. Why don't they just walk out and grab a piece of paper? Yeah. <laughs> and, he, he, and I'm like, wow. And I said, how do you feel about this? And he says, well, no one ever listens to us. And, you know, when, when people feel that way, you know, you just, quote, do your job. And there's so much knowledge that is buried within corporations. The biggest strengths most corporations have are their people and their knowledge and and if you can tap that focus it execute against it you're going to outperform you're going to improve your retention rate you're going to keep good people good people are going to want to come work for you it's incredibly empowering what do you wish you knew when you started that you know now that's an excellent question and I think the thing that I wish I knew when I started that I didn't know now, that I that I that I know now is to have more patience. And so part of the reason why, you know, when I go back and I tell the story about the fast growth, my family and my father sold out and we did we ended up doing very well from it, was we grew faster than we really should have grown and that caused us pain and I didn't have the patience to say we should slow up. And I think that there's a lot of time in business that you do grow. Look, I was with a company that grew 29% for 20 years, so we grew really fast. Um, and there are times when you have to pause and there are times you have to take a breath. You've got to focus more on organizational issues. And um, I think when I was really young, I was very focused on the revenue side of business and less focused on the operational excellence of the company. And, and that's really you have to they have to go hand in hand, you know growth without operational excellence can be as bad as uh, you know great having great excellence in operations but no sales so that i would I would put that as my lesson is to be patient, make sure that the whole company is improving at the same time. Does that make sense to you? That makes total sense. That's great advice. What have been some of the biggest adversities or challenges you've overcome and how did you, what did you learn from that? Well, I would say by far the biggest adversity that I overcame was when I took over this bankrupt franchise. And so if you can imagine you have 
200 franchisees, 300 locations. Their franchisor went bankrupt, and what that means is for two or three years, the franchisor was cutting back, trying to save themselves, reducing services. They didn't trust the franchisor. The franchisor had 400 company-owned locations. All had gone out of business and all had going out of business sales, and some of those locations were right next to each other. And as part of the purchase, the judge went to the franchise agreement, which have you know staggering years of length, and renewed them all to one year because the franchisee said, look, we want out of here. And the judge says, no, you've got to give them one year. So we had one year, and everyone could have left, and they could have stayed in. They couldn't use the name, but they could have stayed in the business. They could have changed the name of the company. It was Flooring America. They could have you know changed it to you know Evans Flooring. Um, so we didn't have a lot of time to build confidence, and you know we spent a lot and made a huge investment in the company. We had to make it work. Um, so it, it was a you know to say daunting and nervous experience. And what I learned through that process was essentially to take this concept of engagement even further than I've ever taken it before. So we went around the country. We did townhouse town hall meetings and. And I share this example because I think it's really important. Here you have a really damaged brand. And if I had gone to the, to the franchisees and if I had said to them, look, at, we think you should stay with the name. It's a good name. It's a really good name. We have it trademarked. You know, give it some time and consumers are going to forget this disaster. Stick with the name. I would have heard back from them, what are you, idiots? We have to change the name. Uh, because I'm management telling them what to do. Instead, I went around the country and I said to everyone, look, we know we have a name problem. We want to know what you think. And they went around the room and a lot of them kept saying, you know what, we love the name. Our customers love the name. And so when it came to make that decision, it wasn't, you know, management doing it in the blind. It was management doing it really with the input of the entire system. So there was great support. There was great support in the strategic direction and the vision of the company but we went further. We created seven different advisory councils. We had people helping us with mer uh, merchandising and training and people helping us with marketing and people helping us with innovation, people helping us with communication. We even had a council of salespeople. So we got just tons of people involved. And then we went and created 34 regional networking groups for the local franchisees to get together and talk about issues and help each other. And one of the really cool things is we went we went from 700 million to 2 billion, um, and we doubled the size of the system in terms of locations. But when you look at the actual sales volume, if we had doubled that, we would have gone from 700 million to 1.4 billion. We, what we really did is massively increase the volume per location, and that and that uh, was to me, you know, really one of the greatest achievements. And if, there were 202 franchisees, and we lost two. Uh, wow! And we built this. We get, built this amazing team of people. Uh, they, they, as an organization, are still successful today. Um, that had a shared vision, who had a sense of pride, and etc. And it's, um, you know, it was it was a great accomplishment. And, and then I got the chance to run a larger. Um, you know, it was interesting. Part I didn't mention this before, but part of the apprehension was our company also owned an organization called Carpet One, which was their number one competitor. So 
So it would be like McDonald's bought Burger King. If you were a Burger King franchisee, you know, how would you feel about it? In fact, a lot of the franchisees thought maybe we just going to close, close them up. So um, after doing Floyd America for four years, they brought me in, into Carpet One, which was a very successful organization. And they, you know, had constantly done well, but they had sort of lost their momentum. They were very mature. The average age of the, of, of the franchisee you know, is a conversion franchise co-op, actually. And they, um, they were older. And what I realized was that even though I had thought the first one was more difficult, the second uh, issue was even more difficult because motivating people that are in trouble and know that things need to change is e- actually easier than motivating people that are happy and satisfied with the status quo. So we took the same exact concepts, went around, listened. Uh, it was bigger, so we created like 54 different regional networking groups. Again, created all these councils and got all this input. Um, really went around and chatted and talked to people that from all over that had different ideas of what we could do. And we really re-energized the group so they were growing two and three times the industry average. Um, so, I, you know, you wouldn't sit back and think, that to be more difficult, but it actually was a more difficult task. Uh, the risk wasn't as great, right? The, the risk was minimal, where in the case of Floyd America, the risk was huge. Um, so I, I would actually say that in a lot of cases, the biggest issue in business today is complacency and that people are happy where they are and they don't want to risk change to, uh, because they don't want to risk what they have. And complacency is what kills businesses because your competitors aren't complacent. And if you aren't constantly working to become better at what you do, someone's going to steal your business. But a lot of times I talk to so many people, all really happy, things going really well. Um, and you know, you sit back and say, well, gee, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to change that. But if you still aren't changing and evolving, you are changing because you're the world is moving. The world is changing. And I'm sure, Seth, as you talk to people, I'm sure this is a pretty common theme. Um, but Absolutely. What do you like best about your business? That's a really good question. I'll tell you what I like best. In, I have two companies. I have a training company. And to me, training is one of the most undervalued things in the world. And you can change companies when you, when you really create companies that are based on training. Um, and when I was running um, these franchises and co-ops, one of the really cool things was our key differentiator was training. So if we had a, if we had a concept or an idea, we had a team and we had people that could go out and really execute and make a difference. So I love I love the difference that we make on the training side. On the consulting side, I just love working with so many different businesses. That, you know, what, one day, I, you know, I can be talking to somebody that's in the fashion business, and I can be talking to someone in the craft brewing business, I can be talking to someone in the plumbing business, I can be talking to somebody in the restaurant business, and, you know, it's just really fascinating working with all kinds of different companies. And where when I was, you know, working in more of a corporate world in a bigger environment, you know, I was dealing with the same companies and the same issues, which I enjoyed, but the variety of, of challenges that I help organizations overcome today, I, I, it to me is very stimulating. With all of the different industries that you cover, I mean, you must get, I mean, if I get 
several hundred emails a day. You must get several thousand, and you must get bombarded with information. How do you stay on top of all of that? Well, that's an excellent question. I don't get thousands of emails every day, but I would say I probably get 300 a day realistically. You know, and I say of the 300, 100 are junk. Um, but, you know, I do need to stay on top of a lot of different industries. And I look for the trade magazines, I look for the websites, um, and I deliberately take time every day learning. And I am a voracious learner. I love learning. Um, and so depending on, you know, who my clients I'm specifically working with, you know, I'm going to go to websites and I'm going to check out competitor websites. I'm going to be reading trade magazines about their business and their and their industries. Uh, I'm going to sign up for newsletters on their industries. And I'm going to take some quality time every day learning about those businesses. Because you can't really give somebody a lot of great help if you don't understand, you know, how the business actually works and what the challenges every day are. For the people that you're for the people you're trying you're trying to help, uh, so it's you know it's very it's very you know very important. And I read books. Uh, you know I'm I'm staring right here. I got a great book I'm about to start called Outthink the Competition, which um, I was talking to the author the other day, and you know it's really about complete innovation. I got another book I'm looking at here called Disruptive, uh, which is really about a, a concept of disrupting in. Uh, uh, industries through selfless service. Um, so I, I like, I like reading business books. They stimulate me. They make me think. They make me fresh. Um, and you know, and I enjoy, I enjoy everything I do. So, you know, I, a lot of people say, "Oh, you're such a workaholic. You're working all that." I, I love what I do. You know, it's a hobby. I mean, it, it, I mean, it sounds odd to say a business is a hobby, but you know, it, it is. When you're really into something, you really like. You know, when you sit there and you read a business book, or in a lot of cases, I listen to business books. Sometimes while I'm doing emails, I'll listen to a business book. Um, I enjoy it. I really, I really, I really love it. So um, it is very important to stay on top of things. Uh, I also limit the number of clients I work with. I'm not going to work with 15 or 20 clients. I generally limit myself to five at a time uh, because I just can't. I just can't give it justice if, if I have more requirements than that. Either I have other people on my team that will work with them and I'll, and I'll maybe take more of an advisory role um, with them. But uh, I, I, you know, like any kind of consulting business, you can, you can slow down your search for clients when you're busy. And if you become less busy, you can start speeding them up. I, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I, pr I pretty much don't prospect at all. I pretty much have people calling me and coming to me. Uh, which is you know the place you want to be when you're when you're a consultant. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned uh, one book. What are two others that are some of your the best books you've ever read that have had the most impact on your work? I have to tell you that the best book I've ever read on business is The Energy Bus uh, by uh, by John Gordon. Uh, Gordon. Um, I love his material. Uh, I love how he writes the book. Um, I use it a lot with clients for discussion. Uh, for people that are not familiar with the energy bus, it's really about the importance of positive attitude. And in my book, I talk about the importance of attitude and attitude's a multiplier and you hire for attitude. 
and and I really do believe companies are about culture, and having being around people with positive attitudes is critical. And what I like about John's book is it probably better than any book I've ever read, really gives you a a clear understanding of how attitude impacts others. And he has this concept of people being energy vampires and how people don't like to be around energy vampires. Uh, so it, it's a really it's a really powerful book. Uh, Mark Sanborn also has a great book I like, which is called The Fred Factor, and it really talks about the power of an individual effort and that every person, in essence, is a brand and every person should take pride in what they do. And I find a lot of people just sort of sit back and say, eh, I got a job, this is who I am. But you know what, you, can, you, you, no matter what job you have, can choose to enjoy it and choose to excel in it. And, and that's what the Fred Factor is about. And, and certainly uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great, uh, is, is a staple. I like, you know, I like all, all, of, his, all of his books are, are really, you know, great books. Uh, you know, Jim's books are much more uh, detail and process oriented uh, rather than, you know, books that just, you know, share some basic concepts. Um, which are the which you know John and Mark's books do, uh, but those would be three great books. But of course, I I really, you know, obviously, you know, plug in my own book here. The thing about my book that I think has impressed me the most is how many people have said what kind of impact it makes on their personal life, not just their business life, and how many people have bought the book to share with friends and family and. And, you know, I, I sent a copy of the book to, to a really good friend of mine when I was first, you know, coming out because I needed, you know, some references and things like that on Amazon. He, he calls me up and says, I bought six more copies for my management team. We're all going to talk about it. Because so much of the book is really about how to be an ex. How to be a what? That nature that are, are really uplifting. And they're important conversations for anybody that wants to be a leader. And you don't have to be an engaged leader. is isn't just about being a business leader. It's about being a leader in life. So uh, I certainly would recommend my own book, too. And I'm sure that, surprised, I'm sure that surprises you, Seth. Of course not. Uh, Amazon, Amazon, <laughs> Amazon.com, and it's spelled engaging leadership. It's with an I for involvement, so it's I-N-G, not E-N-G. Uh, and that involvement's really the key, key differentiator because you can engage people by telling them what to do, but when you when you take and and actually listen to them and involve them, it makes all the difference. And where can our audience go to learn more about you? Uh, if you go to engage, uh, go to engage dot net, i n g a g e dot net, um, and uh, probably in there, if you go there and you click on my book, Engage Leadership. You can watch actually a clip on the book, um, a couple different things, and and certainly learn about the the entire company and what we do. Okay, fascinating interview. I've got tons of notes. I'm sure our listeners do too. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Seth Green with Evan Hackle of Engage.net. Evan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.